Welcome to the EFCA West podcast. I'm Tim Jacobs, District Superintendent of EFCA West and your host for today's podcast. And I am so excited about this episode because Pastor Scott McKinney of Centerpoint Church in Orem, Utah, which is just outside of Salt Lake City, is an EFCA West church. And Scott has written a book, and I think it's a fantastic book, and I want everyone to read it because it is so instructive. It's called Keep Showing Up. And even when I got the book and I I saw the title, Keep Showing Up, I thought, man, this is going to be good because I can tell right away what the posture of this book is going to be and the lessons involved, the lessons learned and told in the book through, through the understanding of just Scott, his life, his experience, 30 plus years in a church there in Orem, Utah. And it's fantastic. I can't say enough good things about this book, especially for our younger pastors who are wondering, maybe even right now, you might be asking yourself, you know, is it worth it to stay where I am? Is it worth it to put in another 10 years, another 20 years? And so, you know, Scott, one of the biggest reasons I got excited about your book is, I mean, it's simple, it's practical, it's full of heart and soul. You just kind of, you're a real human being and that totally comes through. But what I love about it the most is that it is so attainable, meaning that your story is something that was, that was born out of hard work and lots of ups and downs. And it's possible for someone who puts the work in over time to see some of the things that you've write about in this book. So Scott McKinney, thanks so much for being uh, our guest today. Honored to be here. So, so good to, to be with you, Tim. Thank you. Well, and one of the reasons why I knew your book was going to be good was that at the beginning, you acknowledged, because you're you're in Utah and you are in a very heavy uh, LDS area, Latter-day Saints, and you acknowledged that right away. And I love the fact how you set it up at the very beginning. You, you didn't want anyone that might be LDS who's reading your book to be defensive about it. And right away that just signaled to me, I mean, here's a guy that's got EQ, who's, who's understanding, who's being sensitive to the, the, the people who might be reading the different audiences. And, and really, I mean, you're, you're so much of your ministry is, is, uh, is for and to those in the LDS church. Yeah. I, I didn't write it, uh, for my Latter-day Saint neighbors and friends to read. In fact, one of the one of the things that I was concerned about when I when I wrote it is there just there's some people that are in this process of uh, some we ju- we're just getting to know and some people that I've known for a long time and I, um, I I for many of them I'd rather not rather have them not read the book it's uh, but I, I wrote this for pastors and church leaders in uh, in utah but i also realized that there is a um, there's a lot of things that i think we've learned here in utah that i think could help the church in america and i you know i, I think one of those things is that as it uh, relates to the rest of the efca west is since we got here in 1989 we never had any ideas that we were uh, on uh, that we had the home field advantage. I'll put it that way. And we had to learn to do ministry playing away from home uh, as a decided religious minority in a culture where, uh, you know, today 83% of the people of this Valley claim to be Latter-day Saints. When we got here it was 93%. And we've never had any idea that we were, this was uh, we were on our home turf, but 
uh, I, and when we left California in in '89, it, it seemed like the uh, it, it seemed like we had the home field advantage in many ways. That, that it just evangelical Christianity had a stronger posture in the culture at large. I remember when I would go down and visit my family, I would leave Utah, go down to California. We would visit our family and I would just, I would look around and I would see the churches and I would just listen to the conversations. And it would seem like uh, evangelical Christianity was in one, in one way seemed kind of mainstream. And uh, I think that's changed. And I think the, uh, the, the church in America has to learn to play away from home. And uh, I, I think things like just, uh, I tell you what's meant a lot to me is just, I've, I can't believe how many times I've taught through Daniel and Jeremiah and the church in exile and learning to be the church when you're an outsider. And so those, those things have been real helpful to us. And I think, in, I think some of those lessons, I think it's hard in California right now, probably, or some of the other places where the pastors that I'm talking to today are ministering is... It's, there's been a real change in our culture, and uh, it's, I know that it's, it's hard. It's hard to pastor where you guys are at. So, Well, and that's the thing, is you approach it, and that's why, again, it just signaled to me at the beginning, you're, you're aware of the fact that you, that you are and have been a religious minority, and I think that awareness is, it, it needs to be something that we all, no matter where we are right now, accept. And, and then, then it makes it so much easier for us to approach those outside of our faith with that kind of that gentleness, that humility, and not kind of taking advantage of what we thought our position or what we think our position is or maybe what we thought it was. Because you've lived for so long with that very acute real sense that you are part of a religious minority. And I don't think most, most evangelicals have had to deal with that. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I live in a place here where people, it's hard for them to fathom my existence, that I am a pastor, that my, my full-time job is leading a church. Uh, LDS bishops are businessmen and all sorts of different occupations and, but they do it on the side. And so they, they automatically look at someone like me and, say, well, what is your real job? You know, so, so just even my, our existence as pastors here is, is like, they have a hard time fathoming you know, what it is that we actually do. And, and they, we, you know, we are, uh, they have such a decided, such a fixed view in their minds of the way church ought to be. And it's the way that the LDS church is structured. That's the way it ought to be. And they, uh, they, it's not that they look down on you. They just, they just don't understand you and they don't understand what we do. And, and uh, you have to break those barriers. And I, I think one of the ways you, you know, the, the barriers are broken down through kindness and love and, and uh, under, you know, and really understanding what makes them tick, what makes them, uh, what is it about this culture? What is, what is central? What is at the heart of this culture? Well, and you've done, I think uh, the best job of, of exegeting your culture. You know, we, we talk about that a lot when we look at church planting and my involvement with church planting and, and looking even at like missional theology and exegeting your culture. You've had to do that by necessity and you've done it and it really comes through in the book. So, and, and I, I want to start first with just your background. Cause I, I, there's a lot of things I didn't know about even how God brought you to this place. 
And, you know, on page 23, you, you talk about your upbringing and just some challenging things that you had within your own, own family that prepared you to work in the LDS community. So, so what, like what happened there and how, how was God planting the seeds even back then? Uh, yeah, I grew up in Rialto, California, where uh, there were we had a lot of LDS friends. I actually dated an LDS girl in high school, and uh, you know I was the quarterback, she was the cheerleader, is one of those kinds of deals. And uh, I, my family was a very strong military family. We were Presbyterians. We were we went to church every Sunday because that's what good Americans did. And uh, I, uh, my uh, my dad had this very clear goal. He wanted us all to go to a service academy. And uh, so uh, I went to the Naval Academy along my older three brothers. Also, oldest brother went to Air Force, two older ones went to Navy. Uh, And then I got to the got to the academy and decided that I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be in the Navy. And uh, I, I from when I when I left the Naval Academy at the end of my freshman year, my plebe year, and uh, just the profound disappointment that my dad had in me kind of gave me an idea of what it might be like to be a Latter-day Saint and leave the LDS church. Nowhere near as strong, but uh, I felt like I was going against the family faith in a way. And, uh, and, I, uh, and I also understood just from my friends and uh, the, the people that I knew in high school that you get to know LDS people as real people. And what I realized early on is that you know, the the primary way that evangelical Christians had, had have interfaced with Mormons has been Mormonism is a cult. And I think what I understood early on is it's a culture, it's a way of life, and uh, and probably the theology of Mormonism is not the, the most important thing about it. Uh, it is it's the family structure, uh, which is reflected in the theology because in many ways. Uh, it deifies the family, but it is, uh, but Mormons, you know, I mean, uh, family is everything and that we have to understand that here. So I understood coming from a strong family, kind of going against my own family, the way that my dad wanted me to go. I understand some, I understood some of the pain and heartbreak that uh, LDS parents go through that LDS kids. And it's just something we deal with all the time. Every day we deal with Latter-day Saints who are in some way uh, dealing with family uh, as they as they are making this transition to Christ, uh, and a uh, and a uh, and a church like ours, they're making a huge they're making a huge transition. It is costly, and so I yeah I I, I get it a little bit. Uh, I get it probably even more after thirty years of watching people go through the process, but we really have had to learn to be family for people that have lost family. And uh, it's been hard. Yeah. And I, I thought that was profound that you connected that. And it's instructive to people that are listening and maybe at that place wondering like, hey, why why God did, did you, um, why did you allow this to happen in my life or that to happen in my life? And you don't even necessarily know the reason why maybe some of the challenges or, or, or setbacks or roadblocks that you've had have taken place and that it probably is, and certainly in your case, was a preparation for a very deep and unique understanding of a nuance of, of LDS life that, that an outsider wouldn't necessarily be able to relate to if, if, if you had been like the golden boy the whole time. 
I wasn't the golden boy. <laughs> I, I felt a little bit like the black sheep for a while. But the great thing is, is that in, in our later years, my mom and dad moved up to Utah and they both passed away. But uh, they were part of our church and were such an incredible support to me. And uh, my dad would uh, sit in the front row and he was in a wheelchair in his last days. And after every sermon, he would come up and say, son, that was the best sermon I ever heard. <laughs> And I said, better than last week's. And he goes, yeah, this one was even better. Uh, he became my number one, uh, my number one cheerleader. And uh, he's passed, he passed away about 10 years ago. But uh, I remember those times fondly. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Well, and even looking at your background more, and it's I love how you incorporated your involvement with EFCA. And of course, you know, you had a conversation with Wally Norling and Wally Norling is kind of like the Yoda of EFCA <laughs> West, right? I mean, you yeah, know, he yeah. just, he's, his spirit still kind of gets channeled through everything. That's <laughs> um, what it seems like. But, but, and I remember I actually had a class with him at Talbot. And, and so when I, when I was reading that section, I was like, I could see that, I could almost see that conversation you have with him because he invited all of us over to his house and kind of drilled us kind of with the same stuff he was asking you about. But he asked you if you could do anything, what would it be? And, and it just kind of blurted out that you said, I'd, I'd be a pastor of a church in Utah. And then when you said it, you weren't even sure, like, like, where did that come from? I mean, so, I mean, what, what, what do you think happened there? Well, I have to say, I, it, I just think sometimes you get asked a question and the, the desire of your heart just sort of, uh, it, the question itself causes the desire of your heart to come out. And I had not, I'd been thinking about it, uh, but uh, it had never really, nobody really asked the question quite in that way. And nobody, you know, and Wally carried a, a great deal of authority and weight. And, and, uh, and I thought, well, you know, I mean, you asked, well, you know, I mean, it just, it was just right there. And, and I, I, I have a, I had a sense that, you know, the Lord was, was in that. I, I, uh, that, uh, he put something in my heart there and that I just, I said it. And I think Wally thought I was out of my mind. Uh, he, he just, he said, you know, churches don't grow there. And, you know, but, and I, in one sense, I kind of felt like Wally, wrote me off a little bit, but, uh, in later years I saw Wally and he was really gracious about, wow, it's great to hear good things are happening up there, but he's, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a big moment for me. Yeah. And it, it, you but know, I never got invited to his house, Tim. I, I, well, <laughs> you know, you, you had to be, you know, you got to pay the freight, right? You got to be in a class, yeah. right? And, yeah. Yeah. And I remember, I, well, I remember cause he asked me, he's, you know, he kind of a similar thing and, and I, I, I told him, cause I really had felt, cause I went to a, um, purpose driven conference and Rick Worms, you know, asked the classic question, if you, what would you do for, what would you attempt for God if you knew you couldn't fail? And, and I'm like, oh, I'd, I'd plant a church. And that's just, yeah. I felt strongly. And so I kind of said that to him and I remember he kind of like leaned back in his little chair and he looked at me, he was like, I think you'd be a good church planner. And, you know, it's like, wow, that was kind of cool. So, I mean, he, and I think he had that really great effect on so many on so many people, um, so many guys at that, at that particular time. But so you end up, so, so it happens, you end up going and, and I love the story because you get to this, you get to this church and at first you don't even want to go, like your wife doesn't want to go and you know, and then all of a sudden you, but, but you get there. So what do you find when you get there? Well, things were probably worse 
off than I thought they were. And, you know, the church was down to 25, 30 people. The average age was 70 plus. There were very few children in the church. And um, the uh, what I what I found was this idea, this entrenched idea that the people that live, the people that were part of this church uh, did not like Mormons, did not like living in Utah, that uh, very much a fortress mentality, an us versus them mentality. And I began talking about something different. I began talking, let's go from a fortress mentality to an outreach mentality. Let's love the people that we live around. And that, you know, the I actually had the, the chairman of our board, uh, retired steel worker, come to me and just say, hey, you know, this thing isn't really working out. And after about two months, you know, he says, this thing really isn't working out. And you, there'll be no shame in you going back to California. And I just said, no, I mean, I'm here. And, I, I, and uh, we, uh, so yeah, it was, it was, there, there were, there were some, uh, there was some resistance. And the hardest, the hardest part of this thing really has been some of the resistance from Christians, that the Christ, people in our church that, that uh, did not want to see things change, that kind of had this sense like, this is our church and you're coming and you're taking it away. And, um, but uh, I had some, there were allies in the church, some key people that were totally on board. And I, what I've tried to do with the older folks was love them, pastor them, uh, but at the same time, never give up on the vision, which is we were, we wanted, we were, we were committed to being a church that reached the people of Utah Valley. And that means people from a Mormon culture. That's, that's why we exist. And in Utah, you can choose to go a different direction. You can try to find, you could have, uh, we could have moved to this area and tried to find people from an evangelical free church background that wanted to do church the way, however you be free people did it back in 1989, uh, or, you know, you, you could be a Southern Baptist or a Christian reformed or whatever it was you were someplace else and try to find enough people that like doing church that way. And that would be an extremely small church. And, uh, it, uh, and those people will not end up staying in Utah very long. And so what we've done is we've, we've unified a church around a vision and the way we express the vision today is, we're going to, we want to make Jesus the center point of our lives and make him known from the center point of Utah Valley. And Utah, we, we call ourselves center point because we are at the very center point of Mormon culture. This is it right here. Provo Orem, Utah, you know, we're half, you're three miles from BYU, a half mile from Utah Valley University, uh, four or five miles from the missionary training center. This, this is the center point. This, and so uh, if we're going to be relevant, you know, let's 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 try to reach people here and uh, the culture here. Yeah. And I, I really want to fixate on that because you said when you got there, there was 25 or 30. And and so and just to give everyone an idea, and I know it's hard with covid and everything else. So you can say pre covid. But like, where are you guys at now? Well, be before covid, we were at a thousand. And right. We're probably up to 80, a little over 80 percent of that now. But we. I think one of the things that's been great about COVID is we have really, we learned how to stream our services live and it's really become the foyer for our church. And so we're having a lot of people, really a lot of people from the area here watch online. And then after six months or so, they'd show up and say, I've been watching you. And they, they it, it's very difficult for people from a Latter-day Saint background to actually come to our church uh, because they've been told that 
they've been told what they've been told about churches like ours. And uh, you know, people from my generation had a very negative view, a much more negative view of uh, evangelical Christians than maybe this generation, the generation that's coming up. But I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're just all sorts of negative stereotypes. And so people would have a very difficult time walking in our doors, but they watch online and they get an idea that, uh, of what we're all about. I had a, my little story here, I'll, I'll tell you a good, we had a, we had a lady uh, that came to our church about six months ago and she had been watching online and her husband was in the, uh, was in the uh, state high council, which is a big deal. Um, the, the church is divided up into wards and there seven, every for seven or eight wards, there's a stake. And so this guy was on the, uh, he was pretty high up in the church, but his wife basically began to read the Bible a couple of years ago. And I really think on her own came to faith. And, uh, but she started watching Centerpoint online. And finally, after about six months, she showed up and uh, she said, I, you would not believe the fear that I had as I sat in my car out in the parking lot, trying to gather the courage to walk in the doors. And then she, uh, uh, but before she had come that morning, she told her husband, that the night before she told her husband that she was going to go to center point the next day. And, uh, the LDS church wasn't meeting at that time. And, uh, uh, but anyway, she, uh, her husband said, no, you're not, you're not going. And, uh, uh, they got into a fight and, uh, she, um, uh, uh she sat down and, and just prayed and her husband went into his office for about an hour and then came out and he said, I don't know why I said that you can't go. I just watched one of their services and all they talk about is Jesus. And, you know, we're talking a lot about Jesus these days. So go ahead and go. And uh, so, but still the next day, as she just, as she uh, uh, just gathered the courage to walk in the doors. And, and I think she saw me that first morning and just broke into tears and we talked and, uh, and you would not believe the way God's using this lady after six. I mean, it just, it, those are, those are the kinds of stories. The unfortunate thing is we can't tell those kinds of stories on Sunday morning, uh, because, uh, uh you know, we, one of the, we just don't talk about Mormonism because one of the things that you have to be sensitive to, and this is understanding your culture, any Mormon walks in the doors of our church is going to ask the question, could I invite my family? That's it, you know, and if they answer no, you will never see them again. If they answer yes, you know, I mean, it, and, and for her, it was, I mean, her, this woman's big prayer is, I cannot wait for the day my husband comes with me to church. So, you know, those are, those are the kinds of things that we, we think a lot about when we, when we do what we do. But so if you ever mention Mormons, Mormonism, LDS, whatever, you know, <laughs> even if we were to say the predominant culture, you know, they uh, people realize my family would feel very uncomfortable sitting through this. And so we just, we, we pray, you know, don't tell me what you're not. Tell me who you are. Don't tell me what you're against. Tell me who you're for. We preach the gospel, make it about Jesus. Yeah. And the, why that's so important and why your book is so important and is because the lessons that you've learned in that context, you had, you had to learn them from survival and they're, they're really clear. 
and you, you like you had to make a lot of these conscious choices. But I think those lessons are transferable to all of the areas out. I mean, all of United States and all of the world, but but especially the area outside of Utah. But it's not as it does. It doesn't seem again as acute as felt. Like when you mentioned the fact that you know, well, we have to make sure that that we don't say things that are going to be signals that. Um, uh, an LDS person is not welcome here, but how many times, and I've got to tell you like this, uh, when I was pastoring for many years, church planting and, and being a senior pastor for 17 years, one of the most frustrating things for me was when we'd have a, a guest speaker and I would tell the guest speaker, I'd say, look, whatever you do, don't talk about non-Christians as though they're not in the room. They are in the room. We do everything. Yeah. We bust our butts to try to get them here. So don't talk about them as though they are not there. They are there. So speak to them. Don't talk about them. And yeah. right. And, and, and you, you have, you've, that's one of the main things in your book that you're, you're trying to say you've approached your entire ministry to not have that fortress mentality. Oh, I, I, we had a uh, we had an evangelist come to our area. This is like 15 years ago, and I had that conversation. And uh, this guy said, "Well, the area I'm coming from, you know, we we deal a lot with Muslims, and here in Utah, you're dealing with Mormons." <laughs> what did I just say? And so we are very hesitant to have people come in from the outside, and because I mean, it's and we we do we are very very careful. And try to be. We try to explain it as well as we can. The other thing we never do. I mean, we ha- we we did because it seemed like in the '90s, and uh, you know that uh, we were big into the open mic. You know, you hand the mic around, you let people talk. And, oh my goodness, some of the worst moments in my life where you know people get a mic in their hand and uh, they they just go. And you don't know how many times I just have. Oh, <laughs> I feel like wrestling the mic away from people, but it, I, I, uh, some of my worst moments were, were like, and I, we just learned and I, we became very controlling and I, this, this people will, there are probably people that left our church over this, but you know, we became very controlling over the content of what was said on Sunday mornings, because we were always thinking, like you said, you know, don't talk about Mormons. There are Mormons here, and and we uh, and and we have found we have found you know the great thing about this area right now, and the great thing about Mormon culture is they're doing everything they can to 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 be cut, to move our way. They they realize that there's a message there about Jesus that their people long for, and 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 so Jesus in some ways has gotten a little bigger in in, in Mormon culture. And so much so that I think, you know, in, for many Mormons, there's like these two towers. There's the Book of Mormon Tower, the, where the Joseph Smith Book of Mormon story, the, the founding story of Mormonism. And, but there's also this kind of emerging, growing, what I would call a Jesus Tower. And I know that people will say, well, it's a different Jesus. And I'm very aware of that, you know, but, you know, the, the, what Mormons believe, they, they believe the stories. They believe that they believe Jesus rose from the dead. They believe that uh, they believe that he walked on water and said, told the little children to come, come to me. And yeah, I mean, all those things, they believe those things and the person of Jesus, they find the person of Jesus attractive. And so, and I don't know too many non-believers that find the person of Jesus unattractive. There's something about him. And, and now, 
we we do not back down from the, on the from the truth. Um, we we the when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about the nature of God, the nature of salvation, the nature of uh, of, of a, the scriptural authority, man, we don't back down. But it's there's something when you you make it about Jesus, the people here they find him attractive. There even I've known Mormons. 41% of, them, of, of people that leave the LDS church claim today to either be atheist or agnostic. But I would say even among that, even in that group, they find that there's something about the person of Jesus that is attractive. So I, and I don't, I don't think it would be different anywhere that they're there. When our, we, when we make it about Jesus, uh, wherever we are, um, we, uh, I think we have a, a great opportunity. And it's so instructive because we you know we need to know, we need to know our arguments and we need to, to, you know, we need to be able to kind of draw our boundaries and everything else. But I love what you said that we've got to be for what we are and, and not for what we're not. And, and we, and, and find those bridges going back. Cause I, I think again, when I was reading your book, I, I was hoping I'm going, you know what? I want people when they read this book to not just see it as, Oh, here's a guy, here's how a guy in Utah can, can pastor in an LDS community. No, I wanted them to see the leadership lessons that were kind of bleeding off the page because they're so transferable. And, you know, going back to that, that when you first got there and, you know, cause it does have to do with the, the idea of how you had to shape the culture of your church, because you got there, there was a fortress mentality and there were people that were saying, Hey, I want my church back. Literally Scott, as I have been working with pastors around EFCA West, Many of our churches, and I hate to say it, are in that maturity decline phase, and they're and they have that mentality. And there are there are pastors today who have had people come up to them in their church as the pastors are making changes, and they're saying, "What are you doing? You're taking my church away. I want my church back." How did you handle and survive that? Because that is really hard. Oh, I the and to any pastor who has somebody come up to them and say that kind of thing. I, I, you, all those emotions that you have, you love people, you probably love the person saying it. Uh, there's also a fear that we have that these people are going to leave. And sometimes those people are big financial supporters. They, uh, and uh, you know, you feel that, that, it, that uh, implicit threat of uh, pulling support. And it, um, it is so, it is, it's a gut check time. And I think really it's how much do you believe in what you're doing? And, and the, uh, and I, I have, I just, I came to the point where I, and I, I, there, I, I can tell you that there were, there were a number of times that I probably have tried to placate people to keep them from leaving and everything. But I, I have probably gone over to the, you know, just maybe not an extreme, but, but it's, it is okay for people to leave your church. I, I had a pastor from Billings tell me that, uh, you know, people are going to, everybody's going to leave your church one way or the other. Uh, some people are going to die and some people are going to uh, leave uh, kicking over the chairs as they, they walk out the door. And some people are going to leave graciously. And, and I, we just, but you have to get used to everybody leaving. And I, that is, that has been one of the, the, the it has been a real spiritual battle for me to just to deal with those people but i really believe in what we're doing here i really believe that it matters and i believe that if we begin to make the focus of our ministry trying to keep all christians happy that we will very quickly 
no longer be a church that is on point in trying to reach this culture with the good news of Jesus Christ. And they need to hear it. They need to hear it. The Mormon people need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ as it is presented in the Bible. And, and, and so I, I just, I, it, because it matters uh, and the, and, and I, there is something about Christian culture in America that I think a lot of, a lot of people, we, um, I, I, I just, this, one of the things that has struck me is that, you know, in my generation of pastors and my generation of Christians, there was sort of this focus on the family. You know, we're all about, you know, people wanted to have a strong church so they could raise their children in the church so that they're, they're, uh, they're, uh, you know, and they'll, you know, have a happy life and grandchildren and the whole thing. And I, I thought, you know, in, in, in some ways, I think evangelicals committed the, the, the Mormon heresy, uh, which is uh, the deification of the family. I think we have deified our family in many, and we've made our families, our individual families, what's the church going to do to help my family uh, be healthy and whole? And the, uh, the church exists for the great commission of the great commandment. You know I mean? It's like, I, I, and we're, we're, we're to make disciples. And, uh, and, and, uh, uh, I, I just, so often I have found that we have a different purpose than a lot of the people that walk through our doors and they're saying, Hey, you know, help, help me to raise my children. I, and that's valid. However, uh, that's not the ultimate purpose of the church. And what we have found is people are transformed when they buy into a biblical vision of the church and their families are transformed when they do that. But when, when, when it's all about them and their little families, I, I've, you know, I've found a lot of, a lot of children that have walked away from the faith, uh, disappointing parents whose seemed like their goal was to, you know, uh, help me raise my family, help me have a great family. And, and I, I just, I, I think it's a way in which my generation of Christians, of evangelicals, I think we kind of missed the boat a little bit. Well, and yeah, uh, Daryl Guter, I probably quoted this before in other episodes, but Daryl Guter talks about, he has a book written many years ago called The Continuing Conversion of the Church. And it's about the reconverting of the church back to the gospel over and over because it does drift and we don't even realize the water that we're swimming in. And right now, I think you're right, it's very much that family orientation and, and the, there is that protection. It's also, I think, the organizational life cycle, the calcification that occurs in any organization, any group of people that that move from the mission to then uh, retaining what, what accomplishments that they've had. And what I love about what you are talking about is you've been doing this for now over 30 years. You're seeing the other side of it. You lived to tell about it and you made those hard calls. And what I am very convinced about is that our younger leaders who are in that same place that you were when you first got there in the late 80s, and you've got, you've got these people that have been these stalwarts and maybe they're wonderful, you know, they're nice people, but man, they, their perception of church and the vision is way different than yours. And I don't know what's crept in to evangelical, evangelical Christianity on the other side in terms of pastor's mindset that says, well, I must placate. I've got to be nice. I've got to, at the expense of vision. And I've, I did that too. And I hate that. But we, ha- I, I'm a big believer that we have to let our young, younger leaders 
we got to give them permission to lead. We've got to tell them it's okay if that godly person, quote unquote, walks away. It's okay if that big tither checks out. If as long as it is, is, is they, they left because they couldn't wrap their brain around what God has called you to do. Everybody's watching you and somebody like that leaves and how you respond. And you have to have a, we're going to be fine. We're going to, you know, have to have that kind of mentality. And I, the, I, about 15 years into this thing, about 2004 or five, I, I had this sense that our church was stagnating, that we had people patting themselves on the back saying we were a church of about 500, four or 500 at the time. And everybody was saying, oh, you know, this uh, EV free is a great place to go. And uh, I realized that there was this stagnation. And I, I just said, well, we're losing. We are losing our focus. We are losing the vision. And, uh, it, you know, it was at that time that we decided to, uh, we recommitted to, uh, we're, we're a church that exists to reach the culture here. Uh, we, we changed our name from EV Free. Uh, and I know a lot of people did that, but we changed our name just from, uh, uh, to, from EV Free to Center Point because we, we found a name that we believe spoke so clearly about where we lived and about our message. And we were convicted. It wasn't just like, hey, this would be a cool sounding name. But this was this was part of our it was, it was part and parcel of our vision. But the other thing is we did. We sold the old building uh, that, that we had been in that we had added on to twice. And it was like at that time, it, it was I, I <laughs> there was pushback. We lost about 80 people uh, when we changed the name and people were watching. And uh, I tried to, we loved those people well as they left. We, we only spoke well of them. And, uh, but uh, my attitude was, all right, this is great. And, you know, everybody's on board that needs to be on board. Now let's, let's move forward. And then that was followed by 10 years after we bought our property 10 years of moving in and out of high schools. Uh, we met in four different places at our offices in four different places. And, you know, the only thing that kept us going was we had, we had this vision and, you know, finally the, the Lord opened the door in 2016 for us to finish our building. And it was a, you know, that's a, it's a miracle, you know, that, that we were ever, ever, that we were ever able to build that, but it was, uh, I, it just, that was, I just came to the point where I believe this is the most loving thing I can do for this church and for it, its survival and its, and its future thriving is to lead us into a future that where we maintain the vision and we even step boldly forward and live out that vision. And that resulted in you getting the building that you have now, which, you know, I've been there, I, I saw it from Interstate 15. Interstate 15 is the main drag. I-15 is the main drag through all of like, you know, Salt Lake and on down. And and you just, you can't miss that thing. I mean, it's, yeah. it, you see it so clearly from the freeway, which is so amazing. But when I was reading your book, one of the, again, one of these lines that struck me was you said something about the fact that like people were almost getting tired of you talking about the building over yeah. and over and over again. And I was like, oh, that's good. Like, like you, you understood that. 
And how important is that? Because, you know, I mean, you can hear all these people, oh, man, we just got to get back to the word. Or, you know, the thing that I always got from people was like, well, why don't you just, why aren't you, um, why, you're always talking about, you're always talking about lost people and growing, you know, why don't you care about the people you already have? Like, why don't you take care of those people? And like, I always feel guilty and I always feel like unspiritual because people would say, you know, you're just, you're talking about expansion and this and that. And, and so, but you, you just, you kept driving on that thing. How important is, is that to just, to keep, to keep in, to keep the vision in front of the people, especially when it comes to something specific like the building? Well, and I, it, it was hard to do over a, 10 year period I mean, because if there were many times where people just we had so many disappointments and what what kept us from building the building was we we could not we were in the great american recession we couldn't sell the old building and and uh we uh so it was uh people we that thing fell out of escrow a number of times and people started to lose hope and it was it was it was rough i mean we uh we had uh and you know, even we didn't just lose the 80 people at the beginning. There was, we lost more along the way. And people just said, you know, I'm just done. I just don't want to hear about this anymore. And the thing that hurt the most was when you had people say, you know, we just need to go deeper. We need to go deeper. And I don't know if people in California, pastors in California hear that. And, and, you know, I, I have an, sometimes I want to be sarcastic and just go, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of a shallow guy, you know, and that's, (laughs) but you know, what I, what I, what I, finally realize is here's what deeper is it's growing your roots deep and you grow your roots deep through hard times and uh deep is hanging in there when everybody wants to quit deep is that that's deep and uh you know i think we've got this idea deep is when you you know you talk about the greek and you know you go in and you know yeah it's a certain style of preaching and and i just no longer see that I'm sorry, but I just no longer see that as that's that does not measure the depth of a Christian's commitment or or the depth of the church. And I I believe that as a result of you know, our church went through some real, real struggles. But I believe that we have our roots have grown deep in the community and uh, uh, we've had to withstand some tough stuff and uh, we we keep growing. And that's 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 depth, you know? So, yeah. And that's what I wanted everyone to hear because you've got the street cred to say those things and you've got 30 years of experience behind you, 30 plus years. And you've got the, um, you, you, you're in a way different place than you were. I mean, you really saved that church. You really, God used you to rescue that church basically from going under. And part of the reason for that too was you you really love your city and th- this is the thing that I really would that jumped out at me as well you you went from like a lot of people would go okay well we got to go to the Salt Lake City and we got to change it and we got to because it's Mormon and we got to like reach them all for Jesus and and there's things about Mormon culture that of course are mocked even in the popular culture there was that one play or whatever and you know it was mocked on South Park and all that kind yeah. of stuff and and so the the general culture just kind of like has this weird relationship I think with with LDS because some people I think are, don't have but they but they're easy to make fun of and that kind of thing too. But you just kind of wholesale said, man, we're just going to love the city. I mean, you, you right. love your city. What, what is it that you love about your city? And, and like, how did you, how you celebrated the aspects of LDS culture? By the way, I was going to tell you one thing about, you know, where our church is located and really building in that area and in that place was a, was a God thing. And we, we knew how 
special the area was because right now uh, the LDS church is building a temple right across the freeway on the other side of the freeway. And, and, you know, so I drive in the parking lot every, and I see this big temple going up and uh, I will tell you, Mormons know something about real estate. And so uh, it was, uh, it was kind of good to see, but as, as far as uh, loving your city uh, you know, I mean, you know, well, that would be an example where, you know, it would be a lot of people that would, there would be a lot of people, Christians would go, well, how dare they build the temple right across the, you know, what are they, they're, they're, they're doing this against you. It's always finding, I, I look at it and go, thank you. Thank you for building a temple over there. And I, I hope the people that drive by and that they, they will look over at this, this church across the way and wonder what, wonder what they're doing in there. And, and uh, it, it, part of it is you can read into almost anything on that, that any kind of interaction you have with people in your community and you can read persecution in it. And I think evangelicals have, have uh, in, in Utah especially, have, have sort of basked in this persecution complex. Well, I, I, just, I just refuse to see it that way. I, one of the things that you'll, well, on November 7th and next month, we have a Educator Sunday. We invite all the teachers in from the area, we we invite them to come in uh, to join us, and they'll come, and they will come, and uh, we uh, be part of a worship service, and that's an advantage. I don't think you could do that in California, but they'll come in Utah, and we just we let them know how much we appreciate them and how much we love them. We uh, I, the main way that I've been a blessing or tried to be a blessing is just if you know, if you're going to love people, if you're going to build bridges there, you got to love their children, and people know that we love the children of this area. They know what they know about me is that I love the kids. Uh, I'm in real involved with the uh, couple of football teams. My two sons-in-law are head football coaches in the area. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm on the sidelines every Friday night. And, and those kids, they know I love them. The parents know I love their kids. And it is amazing the, um, just when people, when, when you love somebody's kid, you're, you know, you're in. And that's how you become family to people. That's how you overcome that family barrier that, that you, where, where you feel like, I no longer feel like an outsider. I, I, I feel more and more like an insider. And I think the way that that has happened is I've loved people's children. And, uh, and I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about the, the kids of Utah Valley. And uh, I'm all for teachers and coaches and administrators and anybody that is, is working for kids. Such a huge lesson. And uh, you, you, have, you've, you have ingrained yourself into the community. So you're not merely just the pastor of, of, a, of a very thriving church right in the center point. But you, but you have gotten out there, and you've become a part of the fabric of of the city. You've added to the city, and um, there was a, a a book by Jonathan Sachs, who was a rabbi in in London, and it was um, called "The Home We Build Together." And and he talks about like how is it? And he lives in London, and he says, "How is it that we can have Christians and Jews and um, Muslims and atheists and secularists and Sikhs and everybody all in this packed in this tight, you know, uh, city and and yet relatively few problems?" And and he just talks about how you know if we, it, it goes back to what you were saying even with Jeremiah, you know, seek the peace of the place that I have sent you, you know, and 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 pray for its welfare, and and, yeah. and you. 
you've you've chosen to to create a, a church that that sees it that sees their mission that way. Yeah, and and I that even goes. There are people. We have a number of BYU students that go to our church. We've had a number of BYU coaches that go to our church. BYU uh, professors, and uh, you know, I we had people leave our church when I said, "Look, I cheer for BYU." When why do I cheer for BYU? It's not because I I'm uh, all in on the mission of the LDS Church. It's because those young men go to our church, and they will come to me. And they'll say, Pastor Scott, did you see me on Saturday? Did you see me? You know, and and I I've and I've had a few of them wonder whether or not I was I could actually root for them or be for them. Uh, and uh, I am I'm for them. I'm for the team. And uh, and the I, I just I don't think there's anything incompatible with uh, my faith. Uh, I I I look at it like Jeremiah. If it prospers, you prosper. And, and so now, does that mean that I believe and I'm supportive of the LDS gospel and the missionary movement? I, I mean, that's, no, I'm not. But uh, I, uh, I, I also know how many young men in our church have been missionaries and have ended up leaving the LDS church. And they, they want a church where they know that they can bring their family and they are, they, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, people need to know that they're loved. That's, that's, uh, and I don't, but that's, that's the kind of thing that I think we have been afraid to do in the past, but I'm, I'm just, I'm for them, you know? Well, what do you think about this? Cause I, as you're talking, I'm thinking, um, not obviously there's challenges living in, in, in that environment, but one of the things that is unique is that success for the LDS church individually is a level of, is a lifestyle of morality where, you know, families stay together and children prosper and financially there's success and there's kind of peace and harmony. In a lot of our communities, um, I, I think there's that desire, but but the, the spirit of the age um, or the, what kind of tends to rule those communities is, is their goal necessarily isn't necessarily morality. And, and is it, you know, how, like, I don't know, it's like, how do you walk that, that line between, Hey, I'm for my city or I'm for this institution or that institution. or I'm for, I think that's one of the reasons why Christians, we avoid even, even getting involved in any kind of local politics or local government because well, you know, like right now, the big thing is take your kid out of public school because they're going to, you know, teach them about, you know, uh, homosexual sex and that kind of when they're five years old. And so like, there's that, it seems like the goal of the local powers is, is in so far the other way. Whereas I think with LDS, maybe sometimes it's like, there is a lot of similarities in, in, from a moral sense, but like, what do you think about how do we navigate that in, in, in other, maybe other communities, you know, how do I be for the city and yet, you know, uh, keep my, keep my, my identity or keep my, my, my conscience. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, yeah, I, the, um, we like to say that in Utah, in, in other parts of the country, they're trying to reach the unchurched in Utah. We're reaching the overly churched. We are reaching people that have, that have, you know, they've been part of the most organized, wealthy, best structured, religion maybe in the history of the human race i mean I, that's just <laughs> where i where i from where i sit and and uh they've left that and they're basically asking okay what do you got well 
uh, you're dealing with something that is very different where the, the culture seems to be so much against the value system of the church that, and people do think, well, what about my children? But I, and I, all I have to say is I, you know, I don't live in that kind of environment. I still feel very comfortable with my grandkids going to uh, the, the public schools here. There is a, there is a basic morality here that, that we kind of, a, it's an agreed upon thing. And I think that's one of the things that, I mean, I will say, I think Utah Valley is the best place in America to raise kids. I mean, I, I, I would believe it. And we're 30 years ago, people looked at me and said, how can you do that to your kids? So I, I get parents wanting to protect their children. I, I think every situation is different. I would hope that the church in California and wherever in the EFCA West, that, that people would recognize that their people are living in different situations. Their kids are going to different schools. I just, I think we have to give people freedom uh, how to respond uh, in, in each particular situation, what's best for them and what's best for their family. But I, I, I really don't, I have a hard time answering that question because I live so much in this world that I, uh, that I am, I'm, I have a hard time seeing other people's words. I, worlds, I would go back to Daniel where it, it seemed like there are these choices that Daniel faced as he goes to Babylon, he could assimilate and then he would cease to exist. Uh, he would isolate or go over to, uh, and, and just make it, make it, you know, where, where they would impact the, uh, the, the, uh, the culture, you know, you know, they wouldn't have any impact on the culture. Or I, I think, you know, the, what the Christian always has to do is it's the goal, it's incarnation. It's what does it mean to be Jesus in this particular situation? Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. different different churches in different areas are going to answer that question differently. But it's, but, but that's I, the question though. There's a way, there's a way of being a, I think sometimes we take a tone. It's the tone we take with people that that I, I believe sometimes people it, it, it's not so much what we're saying, it's how we're saying it. And I think if we we I, I think I found people that I'm able to say very unpopular things if I say it in a sense giving people the sense I'm saying it, but I love you. And I but I've got to say it. This it's speaking the truth in love. So yeah, I, I those are things that those are things we deal with all the time here. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Cause again, it's going back to the, when you said the, the incarnation, you know, how do I, how do, am I going to be like the incarnation of Christ in this scenario? And, and, but really I think the other principle too, that, that again is transferable to everyone is, and I'm coming more and more to believe this and, and I'll just say it. I think the people, I think the leaders in EFCA that are gonna la that are gonna remain with us in our movement long term, are gonna be those who are comfortable in the are comfortable thinking gray about secondary issues, that are right. comfortable going. You know what? That's that's you know th there's a there not might, may not be one right way to handle like that. That's kind of that's a little contextual, and and people that are comfortable in that space of going. You know this isn't a core doctrine. This is an application or this is a context thing and good people can differ. I think people that are okay with that tension are going to last with us long-term. Those that know it say, well, it, you know, this is the line and either you're in or you're out on, on all of these kind of sub point matters. 
it, 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 culture is changing too rapidly and adaptations are happening too much. They, they're just, they're going to, they're going to find something that, that, that someone says or someone does and they're going to blow the gasket and they're saying, I'm out of here. You have found, you have had to live in that grayness. And one of the things that you said, um, that, that I, that I think is important as well is because it, it was very theological, even though it was very practical, is when you were talking about those, talking about how difficult it is to leave the LDS church and and how some people, they get Jesus, but it may be so difficult for them socially to leave that they may just stay. And are those people Christians? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's I one of the things that I have, uh, it seemed like I spent a lot of time when I was in California of, uh, three years as a pastor there, um, seven years as an administrator at a Christian school, uh, that it's, we, we spent a lot of time deciding who was in and who was out, you know, oh, they're saved. They're not saved. They're, oh, they, and, uh, I, I look at the, the, the wheat and the tares, the parable there. And, you know, the, I, I just, it, it just seems to me that I, I'm the longer I go, the less certain I am of who is in and who, who is out. And I, and, and I am, I, 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 I can talk about, here's what I know. Mormonism is not true. It is not the, the Mormon gospel is not the true gospel. And, and it is, it is a, it is a false gospel. And the, but I do believe that there are people that are Latter-day Saints that are, uh, that are saved going to heaven, um, because they have a relationship with Christ in spite of the teachings of the Mormon church. And I've met too many of those people. I've, 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 uh, and, uh, the, and, and I will say that one of the things that happens to them is that they grow more and more uncomfortable with where they are in the Mormon church. And the, the teachings of the church will tend to become more and more toxic to them. But, uh, there are, I've just, uh, I've, I've gone to some funerals and known some people where, uh, I, 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 my sense was that these people knew the Lord and in spite of Mormonism, not because of it. Now, the one thing Mormonism does is they do read the King James Bible. They have the, they read the stories of Jesus. And so there is an awareness of Jesus. And I, I believe where a lot of evangelicals go wrong is we automatically say, well, uh, it's a different Jesus, and then we we define him theologically, and uh, you know we kind of cut off the conversation rather than you know then okay let's talk about those stories let's talk about let's talk about what this particular uh, situation in the gospel means and 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 I I just I think there's a way to converse with people about Jesus that doesn't that doesn't uh, you know we're 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 not in compromise we're talking about. We're talking about who he really is, and and in, and I've I've had people that have come to our church for years that were Latter Day Saints, and this is one of the things that's happened during COVID is I've just we have Latter Day Saints come to our church every Sunday, and and they and a lot of them will hear what I talk about. I, I mean, a few weeks ago I've been doing a series Genesis one through eleven, and and I talked about before the beginning that that the creation ex nihilo that God created the universe out of nothing and. And I've talked about the Trinity, the Trinitarian God. And, and, and I had Mormons come to me and go, yeah, I, I believe that. I agree with that. <laughs> you know, no, you don't. <laughs> you know, but, but, it, it, you, I, I, but I didn't say that. But I feel like the more they sit under the teaching of the church, the more 
convinced they and and then they hear something you know from their mormon leaders and they go whoa wait a minute that's way different i mean it's just god the holy spirit is at work in people's lives and is bringing him uh bringing people to jesus and it is like it just it's exciting to watch so it's it's i do not feel the necessity to pin people down and say this is where you are right now you're out i'm in or you know and and uh, i everybody's in a different process on this thing and a different place in the process. And I believe that uh, it, it, it just is amazing to me how, how the Lord has used lots of different things over a long period of time to, to bring people to himself out of Mormonism. And we want nothing more than for people to, to leave the LDS church and become a functioning member of center point church. But I, I still believe that there are people that were, that are within the Mormon church that, that have a real relationship with Jesus. Well, and I would hope that people that are listening to this right now would contextualize, Scott, what you're saying and, and you know, who, what, what is the equivalent uh, in, in, in your area? Is it a secular person or whatever, you know, a, just a kind of an atheist or not even an atheist because that's not that many people, but, you know, agnostic or maybe even cultural Christian or whatever you want to call it. That, that, that you're trying to reach that just doesn't seem to value. Maybe it's the, it's the kind of like the God and country kind of crowd, you know, too, that just think, oh, if I just go to church and pay my taxes and, you know, vote a certain way, then I'm going to heaven. And it's like, that's obviously that's kind of the spirit of the age in some communities as well. But I hope you're just taking this and contextualizing it because, you know, it's funny. You say, you, when you read that line, the first thing, or when you wrote that line and I read it, the first thing I thought of when you said, hey, I think it's possible for a person to to have a saving faith in Christ and, and remain in the Mormon church because of all these other external factors. I, I thought, you know, about the amount of Christians that I've heard say things like, well, you can't be a Christian and be a Democrat. And I'm like, well, what you, like, what, like, what? What do you like? Why would you say that? Well, I mean, that 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 is so extra biblical. Well, because that means you're affirming this or that. But you don't know that person's experience. You don't know their background. You don't know how, even how they see their own party. You know what I mean? Yeah. How they? I, so I I look at that and I go again. We're closing doors as opposed to what you're saying is what you know. The Bible says the word is not not return void, right? I mean, you, you throw it out there and you trust that it's landing on people and the Holy Spirit is doing work in places that we have no access to. Well, and I think it's an issue of identity. And I, the, I will ask Latter-day Saints the question, okay, uh, if, if, you were, if you were to find that the truth claims of the Mormon church were not true, the Book of Mormon story, the Joseph Smith story, if you were to find that, 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 that if that just, that whole thing crumbled, would you still be a follower of Jesus Christ? And some would say, you know what? I, I cannot imagine that this story that I believe my whole life about the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith, I, I cannot fathom that that couldn't be true. Uh, you know, and they, they, they simply cannot separate. But, but I have a number to say, absolutely. I am, a, I, am, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And, you know, first and foremost. And I think whenever we you know, is, is our identity in Christ or is it in Republican or Democrat, or is it in, uh, you know, a, a particular political position? Because if our identity is in Christ, then I think we are saying, all right, I am open to Christ shaping my viewpoint in each of these areas. Uh, and I, you know, obviously that there are moral areas that, that, you know, polit that there are, there are things that, that we are not going to agree with when people come into our church I think every church is dealing with the whole what's the LGBTQ thing. We're dealing with it up here. And, you know, my, my thing has always been, well, what did Jesus say? You know, how did Jesus 
talk about the whole issue of, uh, of, of sexual identity and marriage. And I, I, you know, in, I just quote Genesis two and, you know, uh, Jesus in Matthew 19 and Paul in Ephesians five, it is, well, here's what Jesus said. And I leave kind of, that's, that's the foundation of this thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I leave it, leave it for people to wrestle with. All right. Uh, we have, we have a young lady that, uh, uh, you know, she identifies herself as, as gay. She's a high school student and she is, you know, and uh, we, we stay right there. This is what Jesus said. You're a follower of Jesus. How are you dealing with that? How are you wrestling with that? And have a lot of people talking and speaking into her life. And she tries to struggle with what she's hearing at church and what she's hearing from other people and from the culture at large. It's just, it, it, we, I think we, we just, we have to get down in the trenches and love people mm-hmm. when we are dealing with those kinds of issues, rather than when you walk in the door of a church, you are, you're given a litmus test. And if you believe this politically, uh, or if you believe this about COVID, or if you believe this about masking or vaccine or whatever, then, then you're out, you're in. I, you know, those are, those are, and we just, we're, we're, we're dealing with a lot of that stuff. I'm sure y'all are down there too. Well, and yeah, and everywhere. I mean, and, and you're right. You're so right about that. And I think the thing that we've tried to do with EFCA West and, you know, I mean, look, if in this day and age, if you're not getting criticized for something, you know, either you're dead yeah. or you're completely irrelevant. And I mean, everyone's getting criticized for everything, but the, the thing that, you know, even when it comes to critical race theory and all that kind of stuff is like, okay, fine. That's we, there's a lot of those, a lot of that stuff that I just totally reject. And I do think is dangerous. And I don't like some of the things I see creeping into our culture, but if we're not advocating for the gospel, if our loudest voice isn't proclaiming the gospel, then who is going to do it? Nobody. So like we have all these lanes, you know, and I'm, 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 you know, a chaplain in the air force reserve. And one of the things you learn in the military is everyone's got their lane, you know, and not that you can't ever step out of it, but, but you know, you're a, you have a lane you're training and our, our lane is the gospel. And if we get out of that, because we're trying to tack on all these, well, you know, really, if you're going to be a Christian, you got to do X, Y, and Z. We're starting to mute, distort, hide, cloud that message that, and, and we're kind of robbing it of its ability to stretch into all these places that are unexpected, even in our own minds. You know, and so I, 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 that's why I love, again, I love the approach that you've taken. That's why I think it's so important that you wrote this book because you're an EFCA pastor who I, who in my mind has, you, you've, I mean, you're still got, you know, you still have miles left on the odometer. <laughs> this isn't like, you know, you, you still got a ways to go. But, I'm in the fourth quarter. Let's face it. <laughs> well, you know, but but they, but you but you've done well. It's like you've written about this experience, and and you, I love how you said, "Hey, move to an area and, and buy a burial plot." Like you're going to be yeah. here for a while, and that's one of the lessons I want people to understand too. I should say too that in in your book, Scott, there's so much we didn't talk about that you really get in. You you have one of the best treatments. Of, of Mormon theology that is out there because a lot of stuff can really get into the weeds. You ha- you get into the weeds and you f- it's cool because you say some stuff that I'm like, yeah, I remember reading that a long time ago, but I wasn't sure if that was really true. And like you talk about it and it's amazing how other LDS people have affirmed your knowledge of you. You probably know more about LDS theology than, than 80% to 90% of the Mormons out there. Well, I know more than I want to know. And, and, uh, it's, uh, and I also know that it, you know, in, in many ways it is, uh, it's, it's, 
something is happening in the culture here and where there has been, I think people have come to the awareness that the foundational stories of Mormonism, at least on, on an academic level, on an intellectual level, uh, the, you, there, there is no longer a big effort to try to support the idea, uh, you know, the, the, the Book of Mormon narrative as a historical reality. It is, uh, they, the, the church is not invested in trying to defend that in an apologetic way, the way that it was 30 years ago. Uh, today, the primary apologetic of the Mormon church is its wealth, its structure, it's success. And what you, what I, when I, when I asked my Mormon friends, I said, well, you know, well, what, why do you, uh, why do you believe this? And he says, well, there has to be something to it or it wouldn't be as successful as it is. I mean, you have to realize, I mean, the LDS church has $100 billion in the bank, liquid cash. They could finance their ministry on the interest alone. They, nobody has to give. Uh, the uh, and uh, what would it be like to pastor in a situation like that? And you know, but but the problem is you can't buy foundational truth. Yeah. And uh, and you know the, the 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 fact that something is wealthy and powerful and successful doesn't make it true. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I mean, at the very foundation of our faith, we have you know we've got twelve poor men. You know that uh, that that are that are sent by Jesus out to the world, then it changes the world and ends up defeating. You know, doing doing something that people didn't think was possible. But in the end, you know, Rome falls, uh, the church lives, and that's it's an amazing story. But that's, I mean, it's almost like people look at the Mormon Church today and they go, "Well, it's just just too big to fail, too big." You know, just Mm -hmm. and and I, you know, in the end, I don't. You know, my goal is not. To bring about the failure of the Mormon Church, I you know, that is that's too big for me. You know, our my my thing is our thing is we're going to preach the gospel. That's the lane. That's the uh, I, I I wrote a little bit in the in the book about In and Out Burger and you know how uh, you know they uh, it, I I read a book about In and Out and how you know they were you know you guys know great hamburgers. I I just I love them and they they uh, I read a book about behind the scenes. Uh, look at In-N-Out Burger, and it was amazing to me just, you know, what a, a structurally and, you know, how many just, it was a mess. But they stepped, they stayed with the original vision, which was to make great hamburgers. And the hamburger you get today and on Orem Boulevard is the same hamburger you got in 1948 in Baldwin Park and you and it, and they never gave up. Whoever was leading the company never lost that vision of, of making great hamburgers and making them quick. And that's, and look at them today. And I, I just, I look at that and I go, wow, you know, there's this, the church exists to preach the gospel. And, you know, it's the same gospel that has been preached from the beginning. And we keep doing that. And, you know, God, I I don't know what God's going to do in this area. You know, it's, it's, we live in a time where people are leaving the Mormon church right and left. And, Many of them are not going into anything else. They are becoming atheist and agnostic. I don't know where this culture is going. I don't know how this is, what what will be the long range impact over the number of people leaving the LDS churches as that's what's going on right now. We're seeing them come to our church, but it's like, I, what I look at is opportunity. There is incredible opportunity for us here 
to reach people with the gospel. And so uh, my prayer, that's our, my, one of the reasons I wrote the book is that's our DNA. And I, you know, as long as I'm alive and uh, I, I pray that our church remains there in that place where we become a place where people come and find out about Jesus. Yeah. And you, you know, the DNA and that's, and that's why I wanted you to be on the podcast. That's, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm so enthusiastic about this book because that DNA does come through. And I think it's a DNA that I want, I'm hoping my prayer is that our EFCA West district, that, that, that it's a similar DNA. It's the same DNA. It's that idea of, of the gospel of, of the truths of the Bible uncompromising and yet so creative and, and, and motivated by such, such love for the, and loving our city, loving where God has placed us. And, and I don't know if you don't love your city, you really ought to think about moving somewhere else. Find a place you love to live because it's going to be find twice as long. Right. Amen. Right. Yeah. yeah. Find a place you love. And I, I, you know, one thing that I, I, sometimes people listen to my take on this and they'll just go, well, if you're not, if you're not speaking about these political issues, or if you're not doing this, you're not doing that. If you're not really taking the Mormon church on at every point, you know, if, if you're not proving that they're wrong and that we're right in every conversation you have, then, you know, somehow you're in deep compromise. You know, it, it's, it's, I, I just, I would just say, you know, if you preach the gospel and you're going to get plenty of opposition just as it is there, there's, there is, you know, the, the, this is, it's a, the cross is a stumbling block whenever it is preached and you're going to have people, you know, there, there are people that are not going to like what you have to say, but I would rather, I want to, if there's going to be something about me that people are going to object to, it is going to be the preaching of the cross of Christ. It's not going to be, you know, that guy's got an argumentative personality. He's a, you know, he's, he's, uh, or, uh, it's not going to be because of my personality, you know, or my, uh, I, I want it to be about Jesus. And so, you know, it, let, let's choose our battles. And uh, I, it, it, you can get a lot of people on your team by choosing all sorts of battles and that, that people want to have fought. And, uh, and, but it's, I think it's short term, the results. And, and I think there's a winsomeness that comes through in your book that is so needed right now. There's a winsomeness. There's an, uh, a, 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 a hope. Uh, you have an optimistic view of things. And that's why I, I really want to encourage everyone to, to read this because there's just so many. There were so many ways I was surprised as I read it. I, I, I love the stories that you told. I love the journey that you were on. You know, we didn't even talk about um, that one challenge that that's you know Sarah had with the cancer and and your brother passing away and just that that deep that deep kind of dark place you were in, but all that's in the book, and it just comes through so well and you just you kind of weave and integrate your your knowledge of of LDS theology and the impact that it, it had on, on on it's had on your surrounding culture and how you've addressed it, so yeah in fact I wanted to let everybody know too you know you're you're going to be featured at the uh, Loving Utah Conference. There's not that much, there, there's not that many things going on in in terms of the evangelical, uh, you know, um, I guess, uh, coming together. Uh, it doesn't seem like there is, but so Loving Utah is one of the one of the main events that goes on, I think, right, for in terms of church planting for, for, for kind of in the Salt Lake area, right? Yeah, October, I think it's October 28th, we have a conference that, uh, that uh, and it's, 
it just it is it's a time when we get together it's kind of a feels like a little little family reunion it's a time of encouragement and then it's also a time where people come that might be interested in planting churches and i think there are there are opportunities in utah the there's been a there's been a church planting uh movement and some of those it's it's a hard time right now to plant churches and we've had the same kind of thing in utah that's happened all over the west where home prices and you know the, what, what's going on to you know, finding spaces to meet I mean this is this has been a tough era to um, to uh, to do church in and uh, we mm-hmm. but we uh, it, it is a good time to get together and talk through some of those things uh, yeah well I'm looking forward to I'm gonna be there I'm going good yeah love it yeah yeah I'm excited I, I was I was hoping um, I was hoping there was some stuff and it got cleared out. So I was like, cool, I'm going to be able to make it. And so um, I, I love I, 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 I was in I was last time I was in Utah, I was driving around. and I was like, oh, I just love it's so beautiful. And and I, I you know, I was with my son um, a while ago. We were uh, out, out in your well, because we stayed with you guys. And and yeah. it was so cool. And he was like, he's like, dad, he's like, this is such a beautiful area. And, and it's one of the things I value about, um, because we live here in Arizona and, you know, we lived, we planted a church in Mesa and that is the second highest concentration of LDS next right. to Salt Lake city. So a lot of what you're talking about, you know, I can, I, re, I was relating to, and I didn't know that though. So when I came to Mesa, I was just like shell shocked. I just, I didn't, I didn't really, I wasn't, no one thinks about Mesa that way, unless you're kind of more in the know. So in any case, Great. I mean, f- hey, congratulations on on the work you put in to this book. And I'm excited about people getting a hold of it and reading it and learning more about your story and reach. And I, I, I hope it's OK to say, but I would I, I, and when, we, when we have the description in the podcast, if I can include your email, because I would love for people to be able to have the opportunity to reach out to you just to sure. just to contact you more. And maybe if they have questions, if they're if they're wondering about what ministry in Utah might be like and just to just to glean more from you. Is that cool? That'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, Scott. Hey, thanks so much. And uh, I just look forward to seeing what God's going to continue to do. You got more miles left on that odometer and, uh, you know, it may be the fourth quarter, but that's like, it's the best one, right? It should be the best one. So I'm just looking forward to what God's going to do with you. So thanks so much for, for being with us today. 